0: This is the One Verse Podcast, where we liberate scripture from religion, one verse at a time. Welcome to the One Verse Podcast. I'm your teacher, Jeremy Myers. This is episode number 87, in which we're looking at Jonah, chapter 3, verses 6 through 8 I don't know what your political views are. Frankly, I don't care too much. I have people from all different sides of the political spectrum who listen to this podcast, and that's wonderful. But however you categorize yourself, left, right, conservative, liberal, Democrat, Republican, those are some of the options we have here in the United States, anyway. I'm not sure what they might be in your country. But however it is, I imagine that you have fairly strong views about the violent actions of other people, especially those on the other side of the political aisle. You condemn their violence, right? Their violence is unjustified, it's wrong. It should be condemned in the strongest possible ways, right? Their violence needs to stop because it's evil, right? But along the same lines, Uh, This week, here in the United States, we remembered the anniversary of the tragic terrorist attack on 9-11. And uh, Western countries have been waging war against terrorism ever since. And sometimes I'm not sure who's winning that war. In fact, sometimes I wonder if there might not be a better way to defeat terrorists. It sometimes seems that our violence against them just increases their violence against us. So I wonder if there is a better way, another way to defeat violent groups of people, violent terrorists, you know, violent enemies. What would God do? What would Jesus do? I wonder if there's a better godly way to defeat terrorists. Well, that's what we're going to look at today. We're going to see how God brought a violent and evil empire, Assyria, to its knees in sorrow and repentance. So we're going to see what we can learn about that. And if you want to defeat evil, if you want to beat an evil empire, maybe the best way is to follow the example of God, which is also the way of Jesus. Now, speaking of how Jesus defeats evil... If you haven't yet bought a copy of my book, Nothing But the Blood of Jesus, this is the week to do so. September 10th through 17. Uh, that's 2017, year 2017. So if you're listening to this sometime in the future, I'll sorry, you missed it. Uh, but anyway, if you are listening to it this week, September 10th through 17, buy the book this week because those who buy the book this week will get a bunch of bonus materials that I want to send to you. And you're saying, yeah, but Jeremy, I bought the book in the past. Don't worry. These bonus materials are available to you as well, and I'm going to explain at the end of today's podcast episode how you can get those bonus materials if you buy the book. Okay? So keep listening. So in Jonah 3.5 last week, we learned that uh, in response to Jonah's half-hearted proclamation of God's message, the entire city of Nineveh responded and repented. From the greatest to the least, uh, Jonah 3.5 says. And uh, verse verse 6 shows that after all the people of the city had responded, uh, the king of Nineveh also hears God's message and responds. So uh, the repentance isn't exactly from the top down, uh, but from the bottom up. And that's typically the way things happen. Uh, it starts with the people, and then it ended with the king, who then, ironically, issues a royal decree, you know, a citywide uh, repentance policy. <laughs> So again, typical governments here. Uh, It's sort of ironic that the king's the last to respond, but he issues a decree to enforce what the people have already been doing anyway, (laughs) All right? Of course, uh, the king goes a little bit further and he instructs the animals also get involved. So who was this king? Well, uh, scholars think it was probably Asher Dan III. We don't really know for sure, though, and frankly, it doesn't really matter. Whoever the king was, and however the king heard, the text says, verse 6, that he got up from his throne, laid down his robe, covered himself in sackcloth, and sat in ashes. So sort of as I mentioned last week, uh, sackcloth was made from goat's hair, and uh, it was the normal clothing for the poor. They couldn't afford anything else uh, for prisoners, Uh, that's just what they gave them to wear, and for slaves, Uh, and and, and by those who mourned. Now, oh, another group of people that wore sackcloth, by the way, was Hebrew, uh, Hebrew prophets. You can read about that in 2 Kings 1.8, Zechariah 13.4, uh, Mark 1, 1.6, uh, and so on, okay? So uh, the reason prophets wore this is because it showed their solidarity, their alignment with the plight of the poor, and also that they were leading the way in calling the nation to repentance, So uh, Jonah was a prophet. Do you think he wore sackcloth when he went uh, into the city to declare the message that God gave to him? (laughs) We don't really know, but uh, probably not based on what we've seen about Jonah so far. Okay. Anyway, the text doesn't say one way or, or the other, though. However, whatever Jonah wore, everybody else in the city, including the king, is now wearing sackcloth. And, of course, sitting in ashes also uh, signified remorse, sorrow, repentance, and even, uh, you know, death, in, in a sense. Because ashes to ashes, dust to dust, you know, we return to ashes, and so on. Okay, so uh, that, that's what that symbolized. And then the king also instructed everyone in Nineveh to repent. And, and, and again, a little somewhat humorous, because they already were. And he proclaims his decree, instructing the people what to do. Yeah, again, what they're already doing. Now, the reason the author includes this statement, though, is that the decree of the king is set in stark contrast to the message of Jonah, all right? Jonah's message was uh, short, only a few words long, right? And uh, he only proclaimed it once and only had a few details. And notice that Jonah's message held forth no hope whatsoever. He does not even say, if you repent, God might stop this judgment he's going to bring upon you. No, he just says, 40 more days and you're going to be destroyed. Done. Period. No hope. (laughs) Right? Nothing. Uh, and, And so what happens is what we see from this pagan enemy, wicked king is a more detailed message. It's longer. And guess what? It holds forth hope. So once again, we see, like we've been seeing all the way through Jonah, basically everybody and everything in the story of Jonah is more righteous than Jonah himself. Right? Remember back in chapter one the sailors they are more righteous than Jonah and here we see similar things with the Ninevites here including the king all right uh, Jonah is basically the greatest sinner in the text okay uh, we talked about that before just the shame and how what Jonah did to God in going the other direction really is the greatest possible sin you could commit in that day. Jonah's the greatest sinner in the text and yet he's the only one in the text who is not repenting okay? Everybody else in the story is repenting of their sin and their evil. Jonah has yet to offer a single word of repentance. He has yet to show the slightest bit of remorse. And so the contrast here is intentional. It's shocking to see and you're supposed to notice it. All right. Uh, Oh, and it's not just the people either. Uh, It's also the animals. The king says no man, cattle, herd, or flock should eat food or drink water. Okay, everybody, everything is supposed to engage in a total and complete fast, not only from food, but also from water. Now, how did they do this with the animals? Clearly, it would have been up to the owners to make sure that the animals didn't eat and didn't drink, keep them chained up, keep them away from food, keep them away from water. But but why would they do that? Why why would the king, why would the owners want the animals to fast? Well, back uh, back then, an ancient uh, Near Eastern mindset it was possible for hum- or animals to sin. I don't know if you knew that. You can read about this in Exodus 21, uh, where it basically says that if a, you know, an animal kills a man, then the animal is supposed to be put to death, right? So the animal is guilty of sin there, and you need to kill the animal for- because of its actions, all right? So, you know, basically this is sort of the idea that animals can sin too, and so they are just want to cover all their bases here making sure everyone and everything repents of every possible sin. So animals and, ca- and, and humans and cattle and flocks and everything supposed to fast. So just as verse 5 said, this fast really does extend from the greatest, the king, all the way down to the least, which is the animals. All right? And uh, and then he says to uh, cover themselves in sackcloth again. Again, we, we talked about this Um. It's a symbol of uh, mourning sorrow repentance. Okay, but even the animals, it looks like they are to be draped in sackcloth. All right. So, um, uh, but, but again, it, the king doesn't just stop though with instructions about fasting and sackcloth. He also tells the people to pray. Uh, he says that everyone should cry out to God with might. All right, they are to pray urgently to God. Uh, literally, they are. They are. Crying as if their lives depend on it. And and the implication of the text here is that it's, again, it's not just the humans who are crying out, but the animals. Of course, the animals don't really know what's going on. The reason they are bleeding and mooing and baying and quacking or whatever it is they do is because they're like, hey, where's our food? Where's our water? (laughs) Okay, that's why they're crying out. But again, it would have been a a great uproar, great, great cacophony as they all repent and plead for deliverance from destruction. Now, beyond just praying to God, though, beyond the fasting and the praying and the sackcloth, the king also wants the people to change the way they live. This is a real key to repentance. He tells everyone to turn from his evil ways and from the violence which is in his hand. I don't know if you remember, one of the main questions in the book of Jonah, there's uh, several questions, but one of them is, what is evil? And here we see evil equated with violence. Uh the word violence here is Hamas. Okay. So um, that's what uh that's what the king tells people to turn away from. As part of their repentance, they're to turn away from evil, which means turn away from violence. And this equation of uh evil and violence really is a common theme in scripture. Uh sin in the Bible. If you've taken my well, you read my book, Nothing but the Blood of Jesus, I do talk about this in that book. Uh, but also we'll be talking about it a little bit more in my course the uh, Gospel Dictionary. But anyway, in the Bible, sin is often equated with violence. In fact, uh, we could say that the defining characteristic of sin is violence. Where there is sin, there is violence, and, and vice versa. And uh, this is especially true in Scripture when it comes to the characteristic sin of powerful governments and empires. Okay, uh, The primary method that the kingdoms of this world rule over others and exert their authority is through violence, the the, the power of the sword, and uh, the king as, as the as the leader of Assyria, and of course the nation of Assyria itself, that w- was quite guilty of such violence, and and so this is why the king calls for all such behavior to see. Stop evil, which means stop your violence. All right. Now, now we'll talk about this uh, more in a couple weeks, uh, two weeks, I guess, or so, when we look at verse ten where we read that, are you ready? God repented of the evil he was about to do to Assyria. That's a tough verse. Does God, uh, does God perform evil? Does, does God need to repent? Anyway, we'll, we'll discuss those questions when we get to verse 10. All right. Um, but but here we, we do see that the king calls the people to repent and to turn from their evil ways. Specifically, they're to turn from their violence. Okay. And uh, in this way, and this sort of gets back to how I started the podcast episode. God stops the violence of Assyria without any violence, all right? Most people today think that you need violence to stop violence. Uh, that, that uh, you know, fight fire with fire. But, but here, in fact, all the governments of the world believe this. They think that those enemies over there are violent towards us, and the way we need to stop them is engage in greater violence towards them. Of course, that just encourages our enemies to engage in greater violence towards us. Uh, All the governments of the world, the empires of this world, try to exert their power and influence through violence. Uh, Which is why there's really no worldly empire without violence. Uh, Empires of this world expand their power and influence through violence. But I want you to notice this is not God's way. God does not rule with violence like the kingdoms of this world, at least, not what. God is, how God is revealed in Jesus. You know, Jesus says, my kingdom is not of this world. Does he mean that his kingdom is otherworldly, heavenly? Well, sort of. But what he really meant is that he doesn't rule according to the same principles and values and methods as the kingdoms of this world do. The kingdom of God, God's kingdom, the kingdom Jesus inaugurated, is for this world and it is in this world. It's just not of this world. It doesn't come, adopt Uh, It doesn't come from or adopt the values and principles and ways of ruling that the kingdoms of this world operate by. God's kingdom, the kingdom of God, the kingdom that Jesus brought, uh, is ruled by mercy, grace, love, and forgiveness, not with power and violence like, like worldly kingdoms are. All right? So, as Christians, as members of the family of God living in this world, You know, how are we supposed to live? How are we to be in this world, but not of it? How are we to seek to expand the borders, the influence of God's kingdom among the various kingdoms of this world? And the answer is that we're to live like Jesus. We're to follow the example of Jesus. Which means, are you ready? One thing we must not do is try to defeat Jesus. The powers of this world with worldly powers. All right, we, we must not try to fight fire with fire when it comes to violence, to defeat violence with violence. And the reason is because violence always and only leads to more violence. The best way, it seems, from scripture and from experience as well, by the way, uh, to, to expand the kingdom of God and to defeat evil and violence in this world is to beat evil and violence and the evil empires exactly the way God does it here in Jonah 3. All right, Jonah obeyed God reluctantly, minimally, right? We saw that, 3, 4. But at least he obeyed God. At, at least Jonah did go—at least he, he could have— right? Gone in with a sword and shield and started killing people on the street. He could have done that. Um, he, he could have tried to hatch an assassination plot, you know, go find some assassins in the city and pay them money to try to go kill the king of Nineveh. He could have done that, right? But he didn't. At least he did what God said. and He proclaimed God's message to the people of Nineveh. He didn't do it very well, but at least he did that and he didn't try to do anything else. And notice that it was enough. God didn't need bombs. He didn't need swords. He didn't need violent resistance to overthrow an evil empire. All he needed was people who would speak the truth in love to others. In our modern political climate, it's not uncommon to see people from all sides of the political spectrum calling for violence against their enemies. While at the same time condemning the violence of our enemies, right? Our violence is good, their violence is bad. And so all sides, though, are justifying their own violence while condemning the violence of their opponents. Their violence is evil and wrong. Ours, though, ours is a righteous cause. Look, from God's perspective, all violence is evil. Evil is best defined as violence. They're synonyms, basically. So that means (laughs) your violence, my violence, our violence, it's all evil. So is the violence of our enemies. Yes, our opponents, our foes. Absolutely, that's evil as well. But all violence is evil. So that means we shouldn't try to fight violence with violence. All you're doing is fighting evil with evil. In in such a situation, are we any surprised that evil wins? If you fight evil with evil, who's going to win? Evil, no matter who wins. So what God wants us to do is to live holy, just, Righteous, loving, gracious, merciful, generous, and forgiving lives. And then, let him use our gospel-saturated words and actions to change this world one life at a time. Until, eventually, it's all turned upside down for him. Just as it happened in Nineveh. Word spread from one person to another until there was a citywide revival. Note that uh, it wasn't even necessary for Jonah to plead his case before the king, right? Push for national laws, reform, nothing like that. Didn't try to have to get rid of the king. Nothing. Just preach the message that God told him to preach and let God take care of the rest. It's only after the people as a whole responded to the message of God that the king took notice and made a decree about it, right? <laughs> Jonah didn't didn't uh try to get that law, that decree passed about repentance. It's after uh God had worked in the hearts and minds of all the people of Nineveh. Look, the focal point of God's work in this world, it's not in palaces and throne rooms of kings and presidents. It's in suburbs, it's where you live, it's in your workplaces, in your living rooms, in your family rooms, in your dining rooms, on your commute, in your cars. That's where God is most at work in the world. And that means by loving others. Sharing Jesus with others, living like Jesus with others. That is how God's work gets done in this world. So, do you want to defeat an evil empire? Whoever that might be. Look, uh, let corruption and power implode upon itself. You don't need those tools. But when it does, then we can come along with love and forgiveness, lift our enemies up alongside us. As we've seen with Jonah, it really doesn't take much. Smallest word, quietest word will do. But as we love like Jesus, God works through his spirit to convict the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment. And he brings the world to its knees in repentance, just as we've seen here in Jonah. So, look, don't worry about making a big splash, starting a great cause. Just love people in front of you and then let God take care of the rest. Now, I know that this connection between evil and violence is difficult for some, especially how to handle evil and violence. Again, we humans tend to think that our evil is good evil, or I'm sorry, our violence is good violence and their violence is bad, but uh, this is called the myth of redemptive violence, by the way. It's, It's a lie, a myth, that there is good violence, redemptive violence, violence that can help things. Violence always just begets more violence. I wrote about this in my book, The Atonement of God, but I also... Wrote about it in my book, Nothing But the Blood of Jesus. And uh, this is the week to buy a copy if you don't have one already. All right. If you buy a copy of Nothing But the Blood of Jesus uh, during the week of September 10th through 17th of 2017, uh, what you should do if you bought a copy this week or if you bought it in the past, that's fine, too. But after September 17th, this offer will no longer be available. Anyway, what you should do is send me an email with your proof of purchase. Just, just send me an email saying that you bought the book, okay? It's an honor system. I'll trust you. And um, send the email to bloodofjesus at redeeminggod.com, okay? Bloodofjesus, one word, at redeeminggod.com. And uh, when you send me that email, you know, after, I, after the week's over, I will respond to you with your bonus materials which is going to be some audio and video and uh, other uh, some other resources, basically, that go along with the book, Nothing But the Blood of Jesus. My free gift to you as a thank you for buying the book. Thank you very much. Okay, and if you're happening to listen to this before that week is over, please tell other people on Facebook, Twitter, blog, whatever, friends and family about this offer as well so they can get the free resources. And then uh, once you purchase it again, just send them an email saying I bought the book. Uh, send the email to bloodofjesus at redeeminggod.com. Okay? Sounds good. All right, next week, we're going to look at the final thing the king of Nineveh said. If you're looking in your text, you might have realized that I didn't get to verse 10, which is also something the king says. And this is where he makes some surprising statements about the behavior of God. Does God commit evil? Does God need to repent from evil? The king seems to think so. That's what we'll be looking at uh, next week. Did I say 310? It's in 3.9. nine. Jonah three 3.9. That's what we'll be looking at next week. Okay? Well, until then, keep following jesus wherever he leads which is going to be away from violence